Amen, amen. You may be seated this morning. Again, welcome to Calvary. And if you're visiting with us, we're so blessed that you're here worshiping with us. And we're going to study God's word together. And we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse here at Calvary Chapel. So we're in Matthew's gospel. So if you have Bible in hand, if you'll get it ready, you can turn to Matthew chapter 10. We'll pick up our study in just a couple minutes. I do want to pass along a few announcements. And that is that, uh, first of all, uh, the e-bulletin for all the current events uh, happening here at, at Calvary, uh, Greeley. Uh, you can find it on our website, Calvary chapelgreeley.org. Matter of fact, you know, when we came back and started doing in-person and we did outside and then we've come back inside, uh, they were telling us, you know, be careful you don't have cards and things. Um, don't want anything to pass out. It's like, okay. Anyway, I got these cards um, for you. <laughs> and... Anyway, take one of these cards, and it, it talks about us, um, some of the ministries, and then it has that little code thing. What do you call that? I don't know. Yeah, whatever it's called. And um, you can put your small smartphone on it and take a picture, and then up comes the bulletin, uh, or up comes the website, I think. Something comes up. I haven't tried it yet. So <laughs> anyway, grab some of these cards and, and hand them out to somebody and invite them to church so it has service times. And it's just a, a convenient way for you uh, to be able to invite somebody to the church if you'd like to. So we're going to have those that are available for you. So take a look at that. Um, but also, we're continuing to do registration. People are asking, how long do, are we going to do it? I don't know. Um, but uh, we're just going to do it week by week for right now and register for, for services, and, uh, and particularly for the classrooms because we got limited space. And if you do register and you register your children and then for some reason the weekend comes or something and plans change, if you can just let us know, and then it opens it up for more kids to come, particularly when it comes to the toddlers, when it comes to the nursery because they can get full and that'll help us out. And I know things happen that you wake up and you know kids are not feeling good and you're just trying to deal with that. Uh, but if you can do that, that would be a blessing and help us out while we're going through this process of just registering for services. It's easy to do. And uh, if you forget, come anyway. Um, we're not going to turn anyone away. And we want you to be here. Uh, also, this Friday, uh, young adults have been meeting. A lot of kids coming out. I call them kids. They're young adults. Sorry. And, um, and they've been coming on Friday nights. Very fruitful. And, uh, and so they're not going to meet this Friday. Pastor Luke's going to be gone. And then high schoolers on Saturday. So the 16th and the 17th, only this weekend, they are not going to be meeting. So I want to pass that along. And then also, uh, Pastor Travis, our worship leader, um, once in, about once a year does a hymn night. So that's coming up on October 25th, 6 o'clock. They, they are planning on doing it at outside, weather permitting. So we'll let you know as we get closer to that and um, but hymn night for you to come and just be able to sing those hymns that we all love and, and many of us grew up with so hymn night 6 o'clock October 25th here at the church somewhere either in back or, or here and we'll try to let you know as we get closer what the plan is going to be I think I've covered everything so if you got your Bibles ready to go in Matthew chapter 10 you know, it is good for us to be here, and what a privilege it is for us to study God's Word. In John's Gospel, as, as we see that the crowds begin to thin out, uh, as right now, as chronologically, as we're in Matthew chapter 10, 
And we see that the, the gospel writers talk about great multitudes that are coming and pressing in on Jesus. But eventually, even as we travel through Matthew, we're going to see that the crowds thin out. And uh, they begin to say, as Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. And as you believe in me, you shall never die. And come and eat and drink of me. And, and you'll never hunger again. And you'll never thirst again. They said, this is too hard. And of course, he's talking about relationship and intimacy and knowing him. And they begin to leave the crowds. And Jesus turns to his disciples. And he said, do you want to go with them? And Peter said something very astonishing. He said, that where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And this morning, we have the privilege of reading the words of eternal life that he's going to give to us. And I believe that today's teaching is going to be encouraging and uplifting, especially in the world in which we are living in, as we see that the world uh, is coming against Christianity, our culture, more and more. And so we need to be encouraged and uplifted in the day in which we are living. So, Lord, we do ask that as we go through these verses here of, of Matthew chapter 10, that you would just guide us and direct us and, and strengthen us. And Lord, it's for our edification and for our benefit. Uh, it is for our profit, uh, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction uh, in right, uh, and, and uh, righteousness. And, and Lord, we know that this is God-breathed put into the page. So Lord, just touch our hearts with your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been traveling with us in Matthew's gospel, you know that Jesus right now, as he is teaching with great authority, he is healing uh, every kind of sickness and disease, even raising the dead as he would raise up Jairus's 12-year-old daughter, that at the end of chapter 9, that he looked at, at the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. And I know I keep bringing that back because as we look out, are we moved? Are we moved with compassion? Because he saw the people as scattered and, and weary, sheep without a shepherd. And then he would turn to his disciples and he would say to them that the harvest truly is plentiful. There, there's a harvest that is out there, of course, a spiritual harvest, but the laborers are few and therefore pray uh, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So as we open up chapter 10, we know that we read about the 12. We know in Luke's narrative that he went up on a mountain, he prayed all night, then he called the 12 to himself. He would call them, and he would commission them to ministry. He's going to send them out. And we looked at those 12, and, and we see that as he would send them out, he would have a specific message for them to give. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is here. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he gave them a very specific task. And as he sends them out, he would say to them that you are to go and, and you are to heal the sick and you are to cleanse the lepers, you are to raise the dead, you are to cast out demons. Now think about it. Put yourself in their sandals. If you would have heard that, you, you and I, perhaps our response would be, wow, the things that they have seen Jesus do that we've read about so far in Matthew's gospel, he's healing every kind of sickness and disease. We know that he's given the message of the kingdom, that he's cleansing the lepers, he is even raising the dead, as I've already mentioned that. And, and 
just amazing work. And as they're hearing that, they're thinking, wow, we get to be able to do this. And as he continues speaking to them, you're going to go out. And where God guides, he provides. I'm going to provide for you and, and know that you're going to be directed. And if you come to a household, a city, and they receive you, then there's going to be peace to that household, to that city. But if they reject you, you need to shake the dust off your feet and you need to move on. And Jesus would begin kind of a transition because initially I'm sure they're excited. We're going to go out in great power. And the thing to remember is that when the Lord, as he calls us and as he sends us out into the harvest field, that he's going to empower us to do what he's called us to do. Uh, It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, in anything that we do for the Lord, as we live for the Lord, as we serve the Lord. And and here they're going out empowered by uh, the Lord and doing what he's called them to do. But he also begins to be real to them. And he says, as you go out, I'm going to be sending you out into a dangerous place because I'm going to send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And there are going to be those who are going to come against you. You're going to be delivered up to others who are going to persecute you. And and I'm going to guide you in what you're to speak, the spirit of your father who speaks in you. And there's going to be relationships that are going to be severed and strained, even to the point, as he writes, that, or he says to them, we read, that now brother will deliver up brother to death and father his child. So some really heavy things that he's telling them. And you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake. We know that Jesus would say that they're going to hate you because they hated me first. And he's talking about persecution that's going to come to them. And he begins to tell them how he is going to see them through and and encouraging them at this time. And he would also write that a teacher uh, or a student is not above his teacher. A servant's not above his master. If they did that to me, then they're going to do that to you as well. So that is what we have covered so far. And I think that as we look at this, that again, uh, he's going to speak about fear, that fear begins to grip our hearts as we go out into the harvest field. And it is words for us today. And here's the response as we look at it through eternity's perspective and views. This is how you should respond as a Christian in the world in which we are living in. So let's read verse 26 of Matthew chapter 10. uh, As he's talking, therefore, do not fear them. Who's them? Well, those who come against you, um, that uh, they... uh, you know, begin to persecute you as they um, are uh, calling you names. They hate you, all this stuff. Don't fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. And whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So he says, what I tell you in the dark, you are to speak in the light. And the gospel that I give to you, the message of the kingdom of God is at hand, the truth that I give to you, you are to declare that. Don't keep it hidden. Don't excuse it. Don't apologize for it. Don't try to explain it away. But rather, this is truth. This is God's truth. And we don't hide it. And that expression, you know, 
shout it or preach it from the housetops. We're familiar with that term, aren't we? And it means that many people are going to hear it when we tell it from the rooftop. If you go home and you get up on your roof and you start, you know, yelling throughout your neighborhood, people are going to hear that, aren't they? So we're familiar with that expression because he is saying people need to hear what it is that you are saying. And we are to be heard. One of the reasons that we, you know, invest in radio, we're on the radio all week long. We do live radio. We do social media. We do podcasts. We have teaching available on our website. There's all kinds of ways in which we can get the word of God out there. And we work very hard to do that because people need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the truth of God's word. And all of us, when we leave this place, really, we're going out into our mission field. We're going out into the the harvest fields, that we have opportunity to share the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word to others, those who are linked to us in our lives. It may be family, it may be neighbors, it may be friends, it may be co-workers. And what happens is we have those who resist the message that we give to them, that over time, fear can begin to grip our hearts. It begins to creep into our hearts. We fear what people might think about us. If I let them know that I am a Christian, if I let them know that I do believe that the Bible is God's word, if I let them know that, uh, that I believe in a gospel, uh, I follow after the Lord, I don't want to seem too radical. I don't want to seem too self-righteous, as people will accuse us of, or intolerable, or you know, exclusive, or I don't want to be too spiritual. I don't want to cause problems. I don't want that person to be turned off. Or get them mad. I want them to like me. So what happens is we begin in a very subtle way. We begin to back off, don't we? Spiritually, we begin to kind of compromise. We begin to to kind of hide things a little bit in our spiritual life. When we have opportunity to speak up, we don't speak up. Uh, at the workplace, uh, somebody tells a crude joke. We kind of laugh along with everybody else. Or we listen into the crude conversations. Or I'm going to go with the guys after work, and, and I'm not going to go to Bible study tonight. I'm going to go after work and, and have some beers with them and have some fun. We begin to think, do things like that because we know there's a conviction in us that that really that I shouldn't be doing this or I should speak up or whatever the case may be, but I don't want them to, to come against me and not like me and have this, this problem here at work or they look at me and, and they're upset with me. And we do live in a day and age where we are driven so much by what other people think and it affects us very much and what we say and what we don't say what we do and what we don't do. And Jesus, after uh, he addresses them and what they are to do and going out two by two, he's talking to them now. You're going to be persecuted, but he's talking to them about fear. The fear of man versus the fear of God. And we know that as we proclaim the light in the dark, that there are going to be those who are going to come against us as we proclaim the gospel and the truth. And it is amazing to me, and you see it, I don't need to tell you this, how our culture is becoming more hostile towards the truth, towards scripture, towards uh, the gospel message. And, and people will let you know that. And we have and will continue 
to see here is that there's going to be a cost in relationships when we come to Christ. And when we think about those things, fear begins to kind of grip our hearts. But here Jesus is giving us an eternal perspective as he's telling us that we are to fear God and not fear man. Fear is very much a big part of our world today, isn't it? I mean, even through this pandemic, there have been uh, a lot of people that have expressed to me how they've been fearful. And it's not just the pandemic, but what it has brought. Maybe you've lost your job. We've had people lose their business. Uh, and they're f- fearful of the future. What's going to happen? When is this all going to end? The uncertainty that is before us. There are people that have expressed that they're fearful and what they see going on in our country and all the different events and, and uh, all the things that are taking place. Fearful of the election coming up, the outcome. Fearful of our future. They fear for their kids. They fear for their grandkids. So there can be fear that begins to grip our hearts as we look at the world around us. It may have nothing to do with COVID. It may have nothing to do with the elections. Maybe the circumstances that you're in. Maybe the things that you're facing and the difficulties that are before you. So fear is something that comes into all of our lives. And and I don't want to be fearful, but it can happen to me as well. There have been times in my years of ministry where I'll be real honest with you that I became fearful and I woke up fearful. And I'm wondering, Lord, what is going to happen? And what's going to happen to the ministry? And what does the future hold? And fearful for my family or whatever the case may be. And I am comforted to know that as you go throughout Scripture, that great men of faith, that they became fearful as well. You can start with Abraham. After Abraham had great victory and rescued his nephew Lot, that the Lord comes along and says, Abraham, don't be afraid. He was exceedingly afraid at that time. We know that uh, even David became afraid. We know that Moses would become afraid. We know that Paul the Apostle, as you go to the New Testament, when he was in Corinth, the Lord came to Paul and said, Paul, don't fear, don't be afraid. Why? Because he was afraid. And Paul was told the promise from the Lord that I am with you, the promise of his presence and the promise that he's still working through Paul the Apostle. So we can have fear that comes into our lives. And being a Christian is becoming more difficult. Remember that Jesus is talking about discipleship. His disciples, verse 24, as we read, is not above his teacher. And a disciple will, you know, uh, be like his teacher. Uh, And as we looked at verses 24 and 25, persecution is expected, is what Jesus is saying. And they will hate you because they hated me. And we know that as we read that, that that is true because of this. Listen, Christian, you don't belong to this world. You do not belong to this world. It was Paul in some of his last words to Timothy, I mentioned this last week, that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we will be persecuted to one degree or another if we stand for righteousness. Doesn't mean we're being obnoxious. Doesn't mean that, you know, we're inviting, you know, people to come against us. By just by the fact that you are a believer, you will, as you desire to live for Christ, experience persecution to some degree. And Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, Paul had experienced that. And right after he says that you will suffer persecution, he says, Timothy, you know my manner of life. 
You know my doctrine. You know my persecutions that happened to me at Lystra and Antioch. He's going back to his first missionary journey where he was stoned and left for dead. And we know that Paul, as he's encouraging Timothy, I mean, think about it. Paul was dropped into this dark dungeon in his second imprisonment in Rome. There's some straw there in the corner he would lay on. There's a a little bit of uh, water that's in the corner that's flowing through. If you dare to drink from it, it smelled of human waste. It was a terrible place. And Paul knows that he is going to be executed. He says, Timothy, come to me quickly, for my departure is at hand. And I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I I have finished my race. It was earlier before that that Paul had said, I'm determined to finish my race with joy because my life is not my own. And Paul the apostle, as you see, that he's writing those last words before he would stand before the executioner. And as he's writing to Timothy, he says, Timothy, you be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that you need to be that good soldier for him. You need to be that athlete that keeps running the race. You need to be like the farmer who keeps planting the the seed and the crop is going to come. You just sense such confidence and peace that is in Paul the Apostle as he's writing to this young protege that he's passing the baton of ministry to. And in verse 26 and 27 as we read this, God is going to bring everything to light so we don't have to fear We have confidence that truth is going to prevail. And what you do for Christ is you speak truth about Christ, preach it from the housetop. God sees and he knows the gospel is not to be hidden. And as Jesus is speaking these words to us today, knowing that we will have those who will come against us. You know, sometimes people, we hold it back. Sometimes we want to hide it. Uh, Sometimes uh, when we should be speaking up, we don't. When we have that opportunity, we're seeing, I believe, and I'm not saying this to be judgmental or or just to be critical or that I'm better than anybody else, but we are seeing that more and more pastors are behind the pulpit that are afraid to speak truth. They will not speak on biblical morality. They will not speak on the sanctity of life. They will not speak on the coming of the Lord. They will not speak on a number of different things because they're afraid that if I offend people, that what's going to happen is they're not going to come. And they fear the people. And we are told that our fear should be in God, not in a person. And the key is to fear him. Now, when we talk about the fear of God, it's not an unhealthy terror of God where we tremble. Listen, you and I, as Romans chapter 8 declares to us, that we have the spirit of adoption where we can cry out, Abba, Father. Amen? Papa. That's what it means. And those of us who are in Christ are the only ones that have uh, the right to do that. To say, Abba, Father. I'm, I'm a son, a daughter of the living God, and I'm a joint heir with Christ. But it's speaking about reverence to him. That he's a priority in my life. It's not in a person that we fear. And the person that fears God is the person who is free from the fear of man. Jesus goes on to say, to draw attention in verse 28, Do not fear those who, who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. hell. <clears throat> so your fear is in God, not in a person. In other words, we fear God alone. All that man can do is kill the body. Uh, Easy for him to say, right? But it is true. He's given us an eternal perspective. And if that happens, which it does, 
the first Christian martyr for their faith in Jesus Christ, recorded in the book of Acts, Stephen. And for the last 2,000 years, Christians have been martyred for their faith, even today, in parts of the Middle East, in, in parts of Asia, in Africa, other places. And I think about how they're in prison, how some are tortured, how they're going through great persecution, that I have no idea what that is like. But when I think about it, I want to have that kind of courage. I want to have that kind of courage. I don't want to fear people. And as Paul's writing to Timothy, as he's in that Mandertine dungeon, in that terrible place, he writes that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Jeremiah, as we've been going through his book on Wednesday night, speaking to a nation that has uh, forsaken the Lord and dying spiritually, and they threw him into this pit, kind of like what Paul was in, and in the muck and mire is what the book of Jeremiah tells us. And he's in danger. And, and the king, Zedekiah, would come and said, What's the word, Jeremiah? And Jeremiah said, It's the same word that I've been given for 40 years. That you need to turn to the Lord. Or judgment's going to come. He didn't back away from that message. And sometimes when we do go through a day or a season where we're being persecuted by others, we can think, Lord, where are you? Don't you care? Don't you see me? And Jesus answers that for us in a very beautiful way to draw attention now to verse 29. And are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And do not fear, therefore, you are more valued than many sparrows. So God sees you are valuable to him. Will you remember that always? You are so valuable to him that he sent his son to die for you. Specifically, individually. Your life is valuable. And here he's saying that I see you. You're valuable to me. Uh, I care about you. I know everything about you. Uh, and even when a sparrow, a bird falls to the ground, uh, the father knows about it. Now, we're closing summer, but I'm sure that all of you or most of you have experienced this. Or that when we take walks or we go in our backyard, you'll see a dead bird there. A robin, a sparrow, a, a, a dove. We all have experienced that. And whenever I see that, I think of this verse. That the Father knew about this. Which tells me something very important. That he knows about me. Because I'm a more valued than the sparrows or robins or the doves. He knows everything about you. Uh, even as he, Jesus says here, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Not how many hairs you have. Matter of fact, by the way, the average head, there's 100,000 hairs. Now, for me, that's a lot less. Okay, for some of us guys. But there's 100,000 hairs. So if a hair falls off on your shirt and you kind of take it and brush it off, uh, the Lord says, oh, that, by the way, that's number 98,162. He has numbered them all. But what we are hearing from the Lord is that he knows every details of our lives. So our Father watches us. He knows everything about us. So don't be worried about people, what you, they say about you, what they do to you. 
but you are to fear the Lord. And not only are you to be one that you fear God, but you are to confess God, verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So make your confession. Uh, confess him. And we know to confess him means much more than just making a statement with words in our lips. It is that. But it means that you are confessing Christ, listen, by the way that you live. And usually that's how your witness is going to start. People are watching you. They notice that your countenance is different. There's a peace that's there. They notice the gladness of heart that is in you. And, and there's something different about you. Not that they see perfection, not at all. And then they come and say, what makes you tick? Why are you different? And you are able to follow up with the words of the gospel, the truth, that he's changed my life. I belong to Jesus. He's given me a new heart. So we know that confessing Christ is the way that we live. Listen, if you're living contrary to the way the Lord wants you to live, you're living after the world, it will ruin your witness. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And I've had people in my office tell me, why should I become a Christian? Because I had somebody that I work with or a family member that said they're a Christian. And they go party with us. What comes out of their mouth is, you know, filthy words, their conduct. They're no different than I am. It will ruin your witness. So we are a witness with our lives and with the words we speak. You know the saying that we're to walk the talk. So you are to confess me before men, and I will confess you before the Father. It reminds me of that incredible verse at the end of the book of Jude, that little epistle right before the book of Revelation, that to him that is Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. Isn't that incredible? Listen, that's your future. When you breathe your last, and you close your eyes to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. And when you see Jesus, that the reality is this, that he's going to present you faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. Now, I think as I look in the mirror, me faultless because I am so far from that. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, that he's going to present you before the Father. And the Father and the Son are going to rejoice over you. That is our future. So why would you want to live for the world and deny the Lord? And he says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you. I'm going to present you before the Father. If you deny me before my Father, I'll de- you know, before men, I'll deny you before my Father. That's a heavy verse. And do not think, verse 34, that I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, as we read this, as we talked about in the 12, he brought Matthew together. And Simon the Zealot, completely opposite on two ends politically. Matthew, a tax collector, collector working for Rome, hated by the people, um, hated by the people of Israel. Uh, he, he rips people off. He ruins their lives. He's dishonest. That's how they saw tax collectors. Then Simon the Zealot, patriot, you know, one who would risk his life and give us his life to overthrow the Roman, you know, yoke and suppression and all of this. And Jesus brings them together to where they minister together. I just have a feeling, and don't make a doctor now of this, but I have a feeling that it was Matthew and Simon the Zealot that went out two by two together. And so there's unity as the Lord brings us together. I mean, look at us. Look at us here. 
all different backgrounds, all different experiences, different ages, different races. You know, he brings us together because we have a love for the Lord. We are one. We are family. We're the body of Christ. But also, as Jesus is saying here, that the gospel of Jesus Christ divides men. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, these are difficult verses to read because we think, I don't want that. I don't want that. But what the Lord is telling us is that he is to have preeminence in our lives, that his relationship, our, that is our relationship with him, is to be a priority. And, and we don't want that relationship with family members be severed and strained, but sometimes it happens. And some of you know that to be true because you've experienced it. That there are family members or friends or others that don't want anything to do with you because you are now a Christian or they hold you out at arm's length. And there's been a separation. There's, there's been that that's taken place. It reminds me of Jacob when he came back from Pandanaran in the book of Genesis. Here comes his brother Esau at him with 400 men. And we don't have time to go into the story, but Jacob was worried about that. And Esau, he hadn't seen in 20 years his twin brother. And Esau meets him and he greets him. And, and Jacob he says, here's my family. Here's my, uh, my you know, wives, my children. And, and it was Esau that said, well, why don't you come and travel with us? And it was Jacob that said, no, we're going to go to Canaan. You go ahead. And because we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are times that we say to others that we care about and love that, you know, I can't travel with you because I am a Christian and I believe in the Lord and he's the priority of my life. You see, he's not saying here, as, as people read verses, that Jesus said, I come to be, bring a sword, you know, and you're to hate mother and father and son and daughter and all that. And people say, what does that mean? Am I supposed to hate my family like I hate your guts? No. What Jesus is saying is, I am the priority. And we know as we read the Bible that husbands, you're to love your wife as Christ loves the church. Of course we are. We're to love our children, raise them up in the, in the admonition of the Lord. That we are to love our neighbor. That's a great commandment. We are to even love our enemies. And as we are walking close with the Lord, he puts that love in us. And we'll be able to love others more than we could do in our own energy. But he says this, I'm to be the priority. I'm to have preeminence when it comes to relationship. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So we are to not fear God. We're to confess God. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be division. We're no longer at war with Christ as we come to faith, but we now are at war with the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, we're told not to love the world or the things of the world. We're not told that, hey, you don't love those in the world. Of course we do. But you're not to love the world, the ways of the world, the world's system, the, the, the priorities of the world. Because the world is at war with the kingdom of God. It's contrary to the kingdom of God. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In Mark's gospel, Jesus specifically said, whoever desires to come after me, after me let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, if you took up a cross in Jesus' day, it meant only one thing you are going to die. It meant death. And what we are being told is we are to die to self and live for Christ. 
And today we can know so little about commitment and sacrifice and surrender. Jesus gave himself totally to us, and we are to give our hearts to him totally. And my life is not my own. It belongs to you, Lord. I yield my life to you. And the world is not going to applaud that. The world does not agree with that. We live in a world where we are told that we are to focus on self. You're to live for self. You're to exalt self. And Jesus says to you and to me that you don't belong to this world and what you're to do is die to self. I'm to be preeminent in your life. And as you do that, you're going to lose out in this world. You'll lose out in relationships or in a position or worldly status or popularity. You'll lose out in what is important in this world, but you will find yourself. So Jesus given us this paradox. Interesting, isn't it? You only find life by losing it. You only live by dying. And great is the day when you make that your own. That is for every single one of us. And particularly, I want to speak to you young people. You will be truly blessed and fulfilled in life. And it is true for all of us when you die to self, to live in for yourself, and you live for Christ. And over time, in the years of ministry, and talking to a whole lot of people, I have seen over the years that people who live for themselves just pursuing the world and the things of the world and popularity and possessions and all of this, over time they end up being empty and unfulfilled and wondering, is this what life is all about? Isn't there more? And they end up saying what Solomon said 3,000 years ago, that it's all vanity. Solomon, who is the wealthiest man on the face of the earth, he wore golden sandals. He had more power than anybody else. He was very intelligent. He had a thousand wives and concubines. He had possessions. He had horses, uh, stables. You can go to Israel today and you can see where they've excavated the stables where he had as many as four or five hundred horses. That's like having a, a warehouse full of luxury cars. He had everything. He had luxury, you know, he had, uh, you know, parties where the wine was flowing and exotic animals came in. And as he looked at all of that, he said, it's all empty, it's all vanity. And it would be Paul the Apostle, a thousand years later, that he wrote something very important to you and to me in Romans chapter 8. And he said, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If any of us are worldly and carnally minded, it will just bring death. You'll begin to, to have the stench of death in your soul and with your walk with the Lord. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You will live life the way it was meant to be lived and you'll have great peace and joy and a gladness of heart. We all want that, right? I think we do. And it is found in a life living for Jesus. And then as we finish up the chapter very quickly here, as Jesus says here in this uh, as we finish, that he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. And he who receives a prophet in the name of prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones uh, only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, surely I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Not everyone's going to reject you. There are going to be those who are going to receive you and here at Calvary, we are to receive one another. 
We are to serve one another. And Jesus has already said in the Sermon on the Mount, when you pray to your Father, you're going to be rewarded. When you give that is pleasing to the Father, you're going to be rewarded. And here he says, rewards are to be given as you receive one another, as you serve one another. And sometimes we can think, there's really nothing that I can do. Well, can you give a cup of water to a child? I think that all of us can do that. And there are eternal rewards to be given to you and to me as we live for him. As we just serve one another. As we love one another and receive one another. And those rewards are going to last for all eternity. And we'll more, talk more about specifically about those things next time. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this portion of scripture that I pray has encouraged us as we go into the world that can be hostile towards us as we live for you. We don't have to be afraid of the world. The world is not our hope. The world is not our gladness and our joy and our peace. It is living for you. And I pray that we would understand that and we would, Lord, just ask that you would help us not to be gripped with fear of what people think, but, Lord, look to you and have confidence in you, that you see us and you know every detail about our lives. And, Lord, to keep that eternal perspective that we belong to the kingdom of God. And, Lord, I do pray, if there's anyone here that you've never given your life to Jesus, he is your salvation. There is none other. He's the one that went to the cross and died for your sins because the wages of sin is death. He came to take care of the sin problem. He was put into a grave. He rose again. He conquered sin and death. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that's you, if you've never done that, listen, coming to church won't save you as good as it is. Trying to be a good person won't save you. It is making a commitment to Jesus, calling out on Jesus and saying, forgive me. Sit upon the throne of my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And if that's you, you can just pray that, that prayer of Jesus. I now turn to you. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again. You're speaking to my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I do want to know you and walk with you. And I thank you for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God. Into a kingdom that will last forever in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, when we finish here, I'm going to ask that you come up. I want to talk with you and just encourage you. But for anyone who needs prayer, as we go out into the harvest field, may the Lord strengthen you and bless you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.